This is Jared O'Brien for the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Christians Engaging Culture exists to equip Christians to give a faithful answer in everyday cultural conversations and to turn those conversations to the gospel. Well, all we seem to be talking about at the moment is coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever we want to call it. I know I've been hearing a lot about it. One of the best podcasts I've heard on it was done by the guys at the Speak Life podcast a couple of weeks ago. So I thought I'd include it in this week's episode. But after we've listened to that, there was another really helpful podcast I heard called The Happiness Lab. Now, I don't have their permission to republish material, but I'll link to it in the show notes. But the thing is, it's not really a Christ-centered podcast anyway. They're talking more about philosophical ways of dealing with the emotional fallout of coronavirus. So I thought for the second section of today's podcast, I'll try and baptize some of their advice to help us cope through this. So without further ado, here is the Speak Life podcast from the 10th of March. And a bit of a warning that even though now some of their stats are a couple of weeks out of date, the episode itself is really helpful for thinking how we as Christians can respond to plague and pestilence. The Speak Life podcast, sharing Jesus in everyday life. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the livecast. My name's Glenn Scrivener. Welcome. My name's Paul Feasy. And uh, we are coming to you from the Speak Life studios here in Eastbourne in the yeah. UK. And uh, we are talking about what everybody is talking about, COVID-19. Or is it COVID? I don't know. Uh, that's the, Either or, I guess. That's the least Probably uh, the least of, of our concerns, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah because uh, 110,000 people infected with coronavirus, or, or at least confirmed cases. Um, the true number will be many, many times uh, that number. Likely. Likely. And uh, deaths are currently uh, upwards of 3,000. You hesitate to give the figures because they're changing all the time Mm. um, and uh, increasing at the rate at which they are increasing. Uh, That's what exponential growth kind of is. And uh, we just wanted to uh, talk today about um, plagues, pestilence and pandemics because uh, we've been here before. And uh, the Church of Jesus Christ has been here before. And uh, we wanted to highlight kind of seven different aspects of church history mm-hmm. and how people have uh, responded to plagues in Christian history. But uh, what is the state of play today, Paul? What, what, what are we facing? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, it seems... I'm going to pop these off. don't really need them at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it seems to be... I didn't touch my face. Oh, did he? He touched his face. No, okay. I touched my headphones. For those who are... Uh, well, it, it still counts. For those those following along at home, uh, we, we are trying not to touch our face uh, during this live cast. <laughs> because apparently you touch your face 90 times a day, um, but this is not good for the spread. Well, apparently not, no. Yeah. So yeah. apparently, it's, yeah, you're supposed to limit touching your face. To you are really them. miffed about this. I am distinctly <laughs> miffed. <laughs> Yikes. One nil. One nil. Okay. So uh, we'll try not to. And if at home you spot somebody and we haven't spotted it, then, um, yeah, do let us know uh, on Top Chat. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as you said, state of play, we say about 110,000... Confirmed cases. Confirmed. Yeah. Um, but they're saying that, that people don't... People could be incubators or carriers for up to mm. two weeks or yeah. so before mm-hmm. uh, symptoms show. Right. Uh, so anybody could be spreading it around yeah. anywhere, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to try and put it a bit in perspective, um, compared to um, kind of flu, mm-hmm. uh, they reckon that there's about 290,000 to 650,000 cases of flu each year. Deaths from flu. Death, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. 
that's mm. the the scale is quite different mm. at the yep. moment. Yep. Um, and so um, I'm not touching my face. <laughs> um, yeah. It seems at the moment as well, the most, not all, but most who have been worse affected by it and maybe, and the fatalities have come mm. from those who have been more vulnerable. Yes. Either because of their age or because of underlying health conditions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, more. no deaths from anyone under nine. I think, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I, I, people have said it's a bit like, um, obviously many differences, but in like, like chickenpox mm -hmm. is much milder in children mm -hmm. as a virus than it is in adults. And yeah. it seems to be the case with this, that it doesn't affect children as badly, which is, you know, is a, is a good thing. It's merciful. It is merciful. Um, uh, I did read this uh, tweet thread by uh, Liz Sprecht uh, just a few days ago, and uh, she was really pointing to the risk of systemic healthcare failure. So, so even even if one or two percent um, who contract the virus uh, die from it, um, actually, you know, twenty percent might be hospitalised, ten percent might be in ICU units, mm. and um, this is going to um, have a catastrophic effect on on healthcare services. You know, yeah. um, if if you think of you know. If, let's say, maybe 60% of, of the population might end up contracting it, and if 20% of that need to be hospitalized, mm. we do not have the beds um, for, no. for that. And uh, Liz uh, Sprecht has said, let's talk math, um, because she's from the United States, where um, they don't know how to abbreviate mathematics. So um, what she really means is, let's talk math ma maths. Uh, but she says, let's conservatively assume that there are 2,000 current cases in the U.S. today. Uh, she's writing on March the 6th. This is about eight times the number of confirmed cases. We know that there is substantially, uh, that the, there is substantial underdiagnosis due to a lack of test kits. Um, we can expect that we'll continue to see a doubling of cases every six days. This is a typical doubling time across several epidemiological studies. Uh, here I mean actual cases. Confirmed cases may appear to rise faster in the short term due to new test kit rollouts. rollouts. Uh, we're looking at about 1 million US cases by the end of April, and then 2 million by May the 5th, and then of course 4 million by May the 11th. Um, this is the way exponentials go. Mm. And so she just in her tweet thread uh, talks about what, what would this mean for masks? What would this mean for beds? And she could have picked a thousand different factors. She picks those two and said, we will run out of those very, very quickly. Mm. Um, and even if some of the percentages uh, are out in her um, calculations, um, well, the nature of exponential growth means that even, even if, let's, let's say hospitalization is only 5% of the population mm. rather than 20% of the population, that just means we'll have to wait another two weeks sure and their, their aim is to slow slow yes. this down isn't it so right. that if if it is a majority or a significant proportion of people who end up having to be hospitalized it doesn't all happen at exactly the same time to right. try and spread the load a little bit so right. you know i think i read someone commenting on her thing as well there about um uh you know another thing could be issues of ventilators you know if, if uh, something like 10 percent of cases of yeah. developed need to be ventilated there just won't be the ventilators and people right. were saying you could see people sitting there with bags mm. you know like family members having to squeeze right bags um and other people talking about knock-on effects of you know even if it's not the virus itself things like you know just the the chain of um uh, getting kind of medication in from right. china yeah. places like that yeah so people talk about antibiotics coming in which not you wouldn't be for the, the virus because that's not what you mm -hmm. use your antibiotics mm -hmm. for but for other things that yeah. potentially you know would people are either become vulnerable to other illnesses because of coronavirus or they end up getting pushed to the back of a list yeah 
because of it and therefore there could be more well exactly ramifications. Uh, yeah and so anyone who is needing to use the hospital uh, anytime soon um there's great fear around these things and and if you've got for instance a a, um, a surgery booked in 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 hospital mm. um so uh, amanda, amanda kaminsky has just commented on uh, top chat here on youtube uh, she says, my baby's heart disease needs surgery in coming months. If hospital fills with coronavirus cases, what will we do? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there are these, you know, there are these systemic uh, problems that, uh, that, that could end up, um, well, they will certainly make us all pause for thought. Um, and I think one, one thing that this sort of thing does, and let's, let's talk in terms of plague, because, you know, that's, that's a more ancient definition um, of what we're talking about than pandemic, um, what it does is it really puts its finger on our health and our wealth. And I think, you know, the stock, stock market is tanked. Um, yes. And we're all worried about our health. And, and those are the two things that we kind of trust in. Yes. Yeah, there, there's, there's security. There's your security yeah. right there. Yeah. Health and wealth. As my grandmother used to always say, as long as you have your health. Right. As long as you have your health. Yeah, and and yeah. then obviously mammon, money is, is this substitute God as well. Mm. And both those things are being massively threatened by the plague. Um, and, uh, and, and how is it that people have been responding uh, these days, Paul? Uh, we, we've, we've had footage from a, uh, a supermarket. Yes. <laughs> so um, you've probably seen a number of people talking about people going to the shops and all the hand soap's gone or mm-hmm. people are stocking up on loo rolls. Um, and it all seems a little bit kind of crazy, but mm. uh, we've got a clip that shows... I'm not sure exactly where this has come from. Yeah, it sounds accents. like the UK. Yeah, it might it? be UK, it? it's hard to tell, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, we've got a clip of uh, what's going on in some of the supermarkets. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, the incredible thing is that it's, um, I think particularly at the end when she says, I just want one pack. And the mm. lady says, no, not one pack. Mm. Um, mm. And she's got, I don't know, loads of packs there. Quite a few. You know. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I'm about to preach on Genesis 9. Okay. And, um, or, and part of the end of chapter 8. And it's got the, the line about, you know, God saw that, the, the inclination of man's heart was evil all the time. Mm. And one of the things I'd kind of written down in my notes was people will think this is too extreme. Mm. They'll go, not every inclination, you know, surely mm. not. Mm. Um, and then I saw this video and I thought, um, that's a, that was not my face, that was my head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> too nil. <laughs> people will think that, um, you know, that's too extreme. But that video is a perfect example of human nature. Yeah. That they're, once yeah. you scratch, you know, once the cracks in the thin veneer of respectability disappear, right. Right. Um, actually people are all out for themselves, right. you know, even to the point of getting enough loo roll. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that, I think what this does, as we said, it, it exposes things like our mortality mm. and how we can't rely on health and wealth 
Yeah. But it also exposes human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fascinating to see. And I, I think most people a lot of the time would say, no, of course people aren't mm. like that. But the reality yeah. is we're all like we're all like that person in the supermarket. Yeah. Even if some of us yeah. it comes out in a different way. Yeah. So Yeah. Totally, totally. And if at one end of the spectrum we're fighting over loo roll and panic buying, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, do we have Elon Musk's uh, recent tweet? Uh, he spoke about... Um, uh, he said... Oh, yes, no, I, I touched my head. Ah, yeah, okay, all right. Two in one. your face. Two one. Um, Elon Musk uh, spoke of uh, panic over coronavirus is dumb, he says. You know, <laughs> multi-billionaire uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and so uh, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, sure, and I mean I think the the reality is we don't want to go we don't want to go too crazy hmm. because then you get the toilet roll situation. Yeah. Um, but I think you don't want to be too complacent either because yeah. uh, the, the, it strikes me that um, the spread of how it the, the way it's spread already probably could have been slowed even more had people gone. Had people said we should probably clamp down on this sooner rather than later, right. um, rather than seeing how it develops, should have just said, "Well, let's just nip it in the bud as early as we can." Yeah. Um, and complacency yeah. isn't going to help anyone. You know, at the end, at the end of the day, people are saying, "Hey, well, it's not as bad as you think because mm-hmm. you know it's not going to kill lots of people, mm-hmm. but it does kill some people." Yeah. You know? And yeah. essentially, I just seen an email pop through on my thing about uh, just on my notifications from a care home. I Yes. Do some work in. Yes. You know, saying like they're still happy for you to come, but right. they are having concerns from families, residents about stuff getting in because you know those are they're all old people. Yeah. Then they're incredibly vulnerable to any illness, let alone yeah. something yeah. which might be a bit more yeah. virulent than yeah. other things. Um, and and to be honest, saying like <laughs> saying oh it's it's only these people or whatever. Right. It's probably not that comforting to those who've yeah. lost someone. No, but also, I mean, it's a bit of an issue yeah. saying, "Oh, don't worry, it's only the old people." It's right, and I, I think this is going to really exacerbate ageism, um, especially in this country, because you know the the trouble is all the Brexiteers—they're all old and they're all going to die anyway, right? And that, like, a, a lot of a lot of Remainers were kind of like, "Well, let's let's have a, another." Uh, another referendum now because all those nasty remain all, yeah, all those nasty Brexiteers will have died. Yeah, uh, hip hip hooray! <laughs> you know, and and now we've got this illness that is you know very disproportionately targeting the the elderly. And I just wonder whether this will exacerbate ageism um, mm. and whether one distinctive of the church might be that we actually could care about the elderly and might visit the care homes and might visit um, not only members of our own flocks but but others who who don't have anyone to visit them and just make sure that they're okay. Mm. um, I think there there might be a a very countercultural opportunity for the church uh, to minister to the elderly. Um, We might think about that uh, in a little bit as we think about how the church can respond. Um, Plagues in the Bible um, are right there, you know, Exodus, obviously. Um, The plagues used by gods... Um, in order to topple lofty Pharaoh and save oppressed people of God. Um, and that seems to be the way that plagues are used, not only in the Bible, but, but actually as a response to plagues. That seems to be what happens, um, that the, the lofty and the secure um, suddenly start to see, oh, okay, my health and wealth are threatened, and mm. I'm, I'm not owed anything. Right, yeah, plague is no respecter of 
yeah. persons. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, um, you know, Pharaoh brought down through the plagues and God's people saved. But then you go on to Amos in the Old Testament and the plagues are hitting God's people. You know, mm. plagues are not just for the, the nasty sinners over there. Um, it's actually a judgment on God's own people. Uh, and uh, God says in Amos 4, I sent plagues among you, yet you have not returned to me. So, you know, what has been the intention of those plagues? That actually people would turn to the Lord, that they would flee the sinking sand of this world and, and, and flee to the Lord, the strong refuge. And then in Revelation, we see the, the seven bowls full of the seven plagues that are poured out on the earth. And again, they have that same intention. Um, and in Revelation 9, it says, the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues still did not repent. Um, and it's this idea, you know, you're meant to, in the face of plague and pestilence, um, renounce your own strength and return to the Lord. Mm. Um, it's a bit like the C.S. Lewis, is it, you know, it's about suffering being a wake-up call right. to the world. A megaphone yeah. to rouse a deaf world. I think that's totally right. You know, I mean, we saw that with the bushfires in Australia. Um, a, a, a very prosperous country, Australia, very comfortable, very nice place to live. And, and suddenly you realize, oh, it can be hell on earth. Mm. Things can be unleashed. And the security that we take for granted could be, could be snatched from us in a heartbeat. Uh, and that's very confronting um, for people to have to, to cope with. Yeah. Um, you know, Psalm 90 teaches to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. And we don't number our days usually. You know, we, no. we think we are entitled to four score, year and ten, you know, or three score, year and ten or, or four score. Um, and then just just finishing off plagues in the Bible, Revelation 21, um, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Um, so there will be a time beyond plagues. Um, yeah. when they will have um, finished their work in terms of uh, diagnosing our weakness and, and pointing us to Christ. And, and there will be a time when there is no more sickness and, uh, and we can't wait uh, for those times. Um, so that's kind of plagues in the Bible. Um, what about plagues in, in church history? Um, one thing that's been very interesting, we, we, we've come up with sort of seven, seven times in church history um, where the church has responded to plagues in, in a way that we think we can learn from. And uh, the first two have come from Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. Um, so a very interesting book by Rodney Stark. Just, you know, okay, let's, let's go from... AD 33, and trace it through until Constantine in 312, and, and, and how, how, how does it you know, become the case that by then he reckoned there were about 10% of the Roman Empire Christians, when to begin with it's 0.001%. Um, and one of his chapters is called Epidemics, Networks, and Conversion, and he points uh, in particular to a number of plagues um, that <laughs> plagued the, uh, the Roman Empire, <laughs> that struck the Roman Empire. Um, and, uh, and one of them, uh, do, you, do you want to do this one in, in, in 165, Dionysius? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this was uh, Marcus Aurelius was the emperor. So they, they're saying they're not sure 100% what it was. They think it might have been smallpox. Mm -hmm. Is that right? But yeah. I'm not 100% sure. So, so it killed over a 15-year period a quarter to a third of the Roman Empire. Wow. Which is, yeah. I mean, that's just obscene. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what, two billion dead or something? Yeah. Imagine, imagine that 
you know. Two billion dead from yeah. plague. Crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah, and I mean, we've got Dionysius's uh, description here of the things that were going on. He says, The intestines are shaken with a continual vomiting. The eyes are on fire with the infected blood. That in some cases, the feet or some parts of the limbs are taken off by the contagion of diseased putrefaction. Yeah. So it sounds, I mean, pretty, pretty grim, really. Right, right. Um, and this is Rome in its pomp. And this is Marcus Aurelius, who, who is the gladiator. He's like the emperor, he's, isn't he's, he? Like, he is, he's yeah, the gladiator yeah. emperor, right? Um, and yet, yeah, this is this is very much you know bringing Rome low. Mm. Um, but the Christians uh, seemed to be reacting in in the right sort of way. Yeah. So I mean, again, we've got some quotes here from Dionysius. He said, "Most of our Christian brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another." Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Mm, sound like anyone you know? Yeah, man. That's a very uh, yeah. a very kind of uh, striking description, isn't it, of what yeah. they were doing? Yeah. Taking on the disease of others and yeah. bring it into themselves and right. dying their death with them. And Wow. You know, so Christ-like. Yeah. You know, and so, so how, how did the early church grow? Rodney Stark says a massive deal was the plagues where the church lived out, didn't just proclaim the way of Christ, mm. but lived out the way of Christ, which is totally opposite to the way of Rome. The way, the way of Rome is if they're sick, you get away from them, you flee. Um, and you certainly don't allow them to, to give you their death. Um, and, you know, what does the way of Christ say? It says, you know, you contract the disease that they might be healed. Um, substitutionary atonement uh, was not just proclaimed by the early church. It was lived by the early church. And what was interesting is actually the Christian communities survived better than their pagan neighbors um, because they didn't just leave. Sure. They actually ministered to one another. And sure, that might mean that, that some of the carers contracted the illness and, and they might have died. But actually, all those that they ministered to had a much better chance mm, of survival. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and whereas the Roman Empire's death toll um, from that uh, 165 AD um, plague uh, w was between a quarter and a third, the, the Christian death toll was more like 10%. Um, mm. And so they, they emerged from that first plague um, with proportionally, you know, greater numbers, uh, but also the deep respect of those who were looking on and, yeah. and seeing how Christ-like sure. uh, they were. So that happened in 165. And then in uh, 251 AD, uh, there was another plague, and who knows what it was? Maybe it was measles. Um, but it was pretty much the same estimates of mortality rates, uh, a quarter to a third um, of the Roman Empire killed. Um, uh, through this particular plague, towns in Italy were abandoned. Some of them were abandoned forever. It massively weakened the military and all infrastructure. Um, but whereas back in 165 AD, um, uh, Rodney Stark rec reckons that Christians were 0.08% of the empire, mm. by the time we get to 251 AD, um, less than 100 years later, um, he reckons there are 1.9% of the empire. Uh, he reckons there are about 1.2 million uh, Christians at that stage. And uh, Cyprian, the Bishop of, of Carthage, um, said this. He, he said, how suitable, how necessary it is that this plague and pestilence, which seems horrible and deadly, searches out the justice of each and every one and examines the mind of the human race, whether 
They care well for the sick, whether relatives dutifully love kinsmen as they should, whether physicians do not desert the afflicted. Mm. So plague is an opportunity to reveal the human heart. What's, what are humans going to be like? Are we going to fight over the loo roll? <laughs> or are we going to say, you know, let me, let me give myself for you. Mm. Um, and and this, is, this is sort of the sifting um, that was happening through the plague. And, and Christians had an opportunity to model something very different um, from the rest of, uh, of, of society. And so um, Christians, through their strong social networks, uh, through their higher rates of survival, um, and through their modeling of the way of Christ, suddenly became proportionately a, a much greater um, number of, of, of the empire um, and a much more attractive community to belong to. <laughs> don't you want to belong to a community that looks out for each other? Yeah. Um, that when the plague hits, they don't scarper. They hang around. And Rodney Stark says this is a massive, massive deal in terms of, um, uh, in, in terms of the growth of Christianity. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, comments on the top chats saying, um, has it stopped? Has the live cast stopped? If you're still watching it where you are, uh, let, us, let us know on top chat. Um, but uh, Rodney Stark says that by 300 AD, um, the Christian population was up to 10.9%, almost 11% mm. of the Roman Empire. Uh, when in just 251 AD, they were about 1.9%. So um, very interesting, Rodney Stark's work uh, in all this. Um, because he, he, in other work, he kind of talked about how the, the, the church grew from uh, the time of the apostles to the time of Constantine. And he reckons actually um, the growth year on year was only about 4%. Mm. I think it might have even been like 3.4% or something like that in terms of year-on-year um, year growth. Now, obviously, compound interest adds up over time. Sure. Um, but it was just Christians being faithful, living out the way of Jesus, um, not seeing massive spikes, but seeing their faithfulness rewarded and, and, seeing, and, and the rest of the world seeing the way of Jesus uh, being very different. Mm. And this is the way that, the, uh, that it grew. So are we still going? Is this still? Yep. Uh, we don't have an internet connection, apparently. Ah. So that's why it stopped. Okay. Also, do we have belt and braces? Because do we are we recording the are we recording the audio? Uh, we should be recording everything, I think. Cool. Um, hmm. Looks like it's dead. Yep. Okay. That's all right. Well, if it comes back on, it comes back on. If it doesn't, we'll put it out. That's all fine. Okay. So, Agreed. so yeah. Do you want to do Luther or should? Yeah, no, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah, and then so they're kind of bringing us forward in time again, all the way up to the kind of 1500s, um, kind of bubonic plague striking Wittenberg, mm. um, and it sounds like it was a particularly uh, aggressive form of it. You know, so so apparently the odds. Well, the likelihood of survival was very low, and even on it, like, so your best odds of survival were that there was a a thirty percent chance of survival. Yeah, and that's your best odds. Yeah, like yeah, a thirty percent, seventy percent die, seventy percent would die, and that's on a good day. Like, and it came on really quickly as well. Well, it said, it yeah, like, you could be dead within. Well, like, so you could show symptoms in a day and be kind of loss of conscious by the end, consciousness by the end of the day. 
and then you could be dead in as little as three to ten. So we don't know we're born, do we? We just don't know. Well, we're no, born. absolutely. That's the, that is absolutely true. We don't know yeah. how lucky we've you know how good we've got it on the whole. Mm. Um, but you know, Luther speaks about kind of being in Wittenberg at the time with his wife. His wife was pregnant, um, and they decided to stay and help treat uh, those who were infected. Um, and you know, Luther felt that that was the right thing to do. Although he said he didn't feel it was wrong for people to. Mm-hmm. to leave yes. as well he saw yes. that was a good thing yeah um but uh again yes uh stayed there um and uh yeah i mean he said if anyone is bound this is on the whole should i stay or should i go he said if anyone is bound to remain in peril of death in order to serve his neighbor let him commit himself to god's keeping and say lord i'm in thy hands thou has obligated me to serve here Thy will be done from thy poor creature. Thou canst slay or preserve me here as well as if I were in duty bound to suffer fire, water, thirst, or some other danger. So there you go. Yeah. And then like, it was interesting because he was often asked, you know, is the right thing to do to stay and minister to those who are facing the, the, the illness or to get out of there? And he mm. was like, well, if you, if you have any obligations, if they're family, you've got to stay. And if you're the, the Burgermeister, like if you're, if you're in government um, and you've been tasked in that Romans 13 sense of being part of the state apparatus, then again, you should, you should stay. Um, but um, if you can get out, get out. Mm. And then he, very wisely, he kind of said, and no one should look down on the other person for making the different, a different choice. Yep. Um, which, which I think is a really interesting word for today in social media. And, you know, we're, we're, very, we're very quick to, um, to make presumptions about those who have bulk bought toilet roll, right? You know, I've seen on Twitter, people kind of say, um, I know it's, it's all those older people who are bulk buying toilet roll and, mm. and they are the ones who are panic buying and, and they're the problem. And you're like, well, I don't know. Have you done this, the research? Like what studies suggest that a certain sector of the population panic buys? I think we're probably all susceptible to panic buying mm. and different people responding differently to the plagues. And, and, and obviously Luther, very sensitive to the problem of self-righteousness in the human heart. He's, he's kind of saying, let's, let's not look down on one another for, for the different kinds of, of ways that we respond uh, to the plague. Mm. Um, but uh, let's let's skip on to uh, 1542 and, and Calvin there in uh, Geneva, and uh, and while Calvin was there, Geneva uh, suffered five different plagues, um, and uh, in the first outbreak in 1542, uh, Calvin led visitations into plague-infected homes, and he, he and he knew that you know he might be risking death by doing so. Um, Soon others in leadership said, Calvin, you can't risk yourself like this. And they took him off the front lines of doing that. But other pastors in his company of pastors would go in and they would minister to the dying. And, and they would report on, on seeing loads of people actually turn to the Lord in, mm. in their final days and hours. Um, and actually there was, there was great gospel fruitfulness um, in, in terms of all that they were um, able to do. So, so Calvin... Um, was officially taken off his sort of frontline duties, but apparently was just doing it covertly. Right. And, and so he would, he would just go and visit people and he just wouldn't tell the other elders, you know, I'm, I'm off to do, um, I'm, I'm off to play golf or something. <laughs> I don't know what he said. <laughs> but um, um, so again, it's, it's that very Christ-like thing, isn't it, of risking your life for the salvation of others, um, an in, entirely uh, Christ-like thing to do. Mm. 
And then in 1665, we have this, yeah. uh, this other example. Yeah, the village of Eam in Derbyshire. So, uh, how, are you, how are we spelling Eam? Well, it's E-Y-A-M, yes. which uh, we, did, we had to do a Google search to find yes. the pronunciation. is apparently Eam, yes. but not E-M. E-M. E-M, whatever. So okay. Eam, apparently. Yeah. That's what we're going with. Say anything with enough confidence. Mm-hmm. It's all good. <laughs> um, and so there was a, a village in Derbyshire that, uh, this again, during the time of bubonic plague, um, that basically just quarantined themselves. Yeah. And it was actually off the back of the, the rector, the pastor at the time, William Mompesson, mm-hmm. who had kind of... He was, pretty recent to the village um, and from what I understand not hugely well liked actually um, but felt that it was best for them to quarantine themselves so that the illness didn't spread out to kind of other places nearby Um, and somehow he and the the past kind of incumbents who also lived still living there managed to convince the village to to do this and it meant that pretty much uh, contact with people outside the village was almost entirely stopped Yes. Um, and food and things were being brought in. Um, uh, I can't remember who it says they were bringing it in, but it was coming in from the outside, uh, so they were still being supplied. Um, but you know, it you know it, it was I think something like uh, 260 mm. of the village's inhabitants from 76, no fewer than 76 families, died. Mm. I mean, there's a story of one lady, Elizabeth Hancock, buried six of her children and her husband, who had perished in the space of eight days. Yeah. Six children and yeah. your husband in yeah. the space of eight days. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the... There's a, uh, the article we were looking at, there's a lady there who's a descendant of one of the ladies, and she said, um, it must have been terrifying, but every single family would have had a strong belief in God and would not have feared death. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and it seems actually that by what they did, it meant that actually it did greatly reduce... Yeah the spread of the illness in the local area, even though they themselves suffered a far higher mortality rate yeah. than even London, I think they said. So Yeah, yeah. So they're self-isolated. They Again, they they endured the the punishment that others might be spared and yeah. an incredibly Christ-like thing to do. And you've got to you've got to believe in resurrection to kind of do that. You know, if if you honestly think that this life is all there is, you're crazy to stay, aren't you? I mean, really? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, this you might, is it. You might think it's noble to to stay, but you, you certainly you, you certainly couldn't fault anybody um, for running and saving the only life that we know we have. You know, which is which is how agnostics and atheists often often speak. The one life we know we have, I'm just going to make it as good as I can. Mm. Um, and okay, that that makes sense. But but what what about? the rest of society and, and what about these kinds of situations where actually the giving of life for others um, is, is the only way that we're going to survive. Mm. Um, again, we need, we need that hope in, in, in resurrection really. Yeah. Um, and then do you, do you want to do Spurgeon? Yeah, sure. So, and then we, we've got Spurgeon kind of 1854 dealing with the cholera outbreak um, uh, where he was kind of went down in London and um, he kind of talked, there were kind of five things that came out of it that it talked about how he prioritized during that time local ministry. He had various engagements around the country, but he kind of called those off because he felt that it was his duty to spend time hmm. um, with those who are part of his kind of under his care. Right. Uh, very specifically. So um, in, his, in his community. So maybe there's something for us there as well um, hmm. about kind of that, what, where our priorities might lie in hmm. this. Um, his his thing was very much to continue to keep meeting as a, a church, but to make adjustments if necessary. Mm-hmm. So and things like that. But um, 
he said that it was during those times that people were most receptive to the gospel. Sure. Actually, so he said, if there was ever a time when the mind is sensitive, it's when death is abroad. I recollect when I first came to London, how anxiously people listened to the gospel for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. Ha. Huh. Uh, and, you know, it's like you say, when people are confronted with their mortality, they might suddenly be a bit more open to... Yes. thinking about the gospel and there hearing about that. There was little scoffing then. Yeah, but, you know, he was, you know, he, like I say, although he wanted to continue doing these meetings, you know, there was sense to kind of exercise wisdom in how you do it and things. Right. And I was talking to you about, you know, like at our church at the moment, we've, we have we were told kind of yesterday, you know, if you're feeling unwell, don't, don't come. Mm. We're going to um, stream some of the services. Yep. Please don't shake hands. You know, we're doing yep. the, it was the best piece we've ever done. <laughs> uh, For an introvert. It was like, you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to shake everyone's hands. You know, no awkward yeah. hugging. What's going to happen there? How disobedient. You know, it's so know, good. It was so five good. times in the New Testament, <laughs> greet one another with a holy kiss. It's the most disobeyed commandment. And we've gone down probably. to the, you know, yeah. rather than when we did communion, we all had the individual cups. Okay. You know, yeah. um, just mm. to avoid contamination and stuff like that. So, you know, there, yeah. there's wisdom there. Oh, right. And, you know, being sensible about yeah. taking precautions, but, yeah. we, you know, carried on meeting as well. Because in, in Singapore and in South Korea, the churches have been at the heart of spreading um, the coronavirus. Right. Actually, actually in, in, in terms of the, yeah, where, <laughs> where most people have picked them up from. It's um, been the church. It's been churches, actually. So I think, I think we do need to be a lot more sensible in how we meet. You yeah. Know, I'm, I'm not saying we go all virtual and let, let's no, just... No, no, absolutely. Speak Life is your new church. So, you know, yeah. Just, well, watch, it, just watch our videos. No, we're not saying that. But we do have to be very wise. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, he was saying very much that it, there are pe- people who are open to this. Mm. Um, and also one of his big things was to continue visiting the sick mm. and to point them to, well, those who were sick and grieving because people had lost people and yeah. to point them to the gospel. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he said, you know, more than just bringing the gospel content in his presence, communicated something of God's comfort to his people. Right. Though these visits were often fearful and full of grief, they were also glorious occasions of faith and joy. Yeah. So yeah. doing that. And, and they were... He said evangelistic opportunities. So even people who weren't part of the church and the community there mm. were happy. You know, maybe people had deserted them. And actually to have someone like himself and Christians come in, mm. even though they themselves weren't necessarily believers. That, you know, and it, there were definitely occasions where people came to faith off the back of that. Yeah. Um, and there were occasions where they didn't as well. Mm. But people were open to it. Um, and he talks about one man who'd actually been a, someone who had opposed him who got ill and he was Spurgeon was summoned to see him. Um, he said the man in his lifetime had been wont to jeer at me in strong language. He had often denounced me as a hypocrite yet. He was no sooner smitten by the darts of death than he sought my presence and counsel. No doubt feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his own lips, hmm. you know? And so, I mean, that particular story, he goes and say that wasn't a case where he said the guy very soon kind of became delirious and, you know, it doesn't seem that there was any conversion. Um, but there were those opportunities and there were yeah. ones where that, that did lead to things. So, yeah. you know, in the face of suffering, there were opportunities to preach the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's where he just talks about entrusting his life to God mm-hmm. um, in these moments, I guess, again, being confronted with the frailty and fragility of life. Mm. Um, what else can you do? Yeah. yeah. It's an intensification of the rest of life, isn't it? So it's an intensification of our mortality, and we're staring down the barrel of our mortality mm. a lot more. And it's also an intensification of the church's witness. If the church is going to be the church, if the church is actually going to be Christ-like, then hopefully the world will see that uh, in a more intense way mm. as we run towards danger rather than away from it. I mean, because the reality is that we 
I mean, uh, it, it should be no surprise that we're going to die. Right. You know. But it is. It's just when, <laughs> <laughs> you know. it's just when the, the schedule in our minds is seemingly moved up. Right. Could be moved up the scale, you know, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. It doesn't, the situation is no different, really. Yeah. That more, you know, the, yeah. it's coming. Yeah. It's coming one day. Right. It's an intensification. And what was striking about that Spurgeon stuff is, is him talking about the jeerers and the sneerers. You know, much, much less. Oh, I just touched my face again. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> there it is. Oh, there it is. Too all. It's too all. Um, <laughs> but there, there is that sense of, um, oh, I don't know. There, there, there is that sense of jeering and sneering because you think you are Lord, right? Mm. And when death kind of bears its teeth, we, we recognize, oh, I'm not, I'm not captain of my soul and master of my fate mm. at all. Death is Lord. Um, and I'm, I'm in no position to jeer or sneer. Mm. Um, and I just think, you know, in, in the West, there is a lot of jeering and sneering at the church. Um, and I think maybe, maybe part of that is just forgetfulness about our mortality. Oh, yeah. I think that's absolutely the case. Our frailty and our weakness. So what's going to be our seventh example of uh, plagues and uh, the way in which the church reacts? Well, perhaps we're living through it. Um, maybe now mm. is the chance uh, for us to demonstrate that we are the church, and um, maybe this could be a, another advance for the gospel. Um, certainly in China, in Wuhan province itself, um, there's, there's that opportunity. It's very interesting that... <laughs> just touch my face again. Okay. Three, two. You're winning, Paul. Um, just in, in Wuhan province, very, very difficult to be a Christian, um, but the way in which the Chinese government has wanted to suppress the knowledge of this outbreak mm. um, and punish whistleblowers um, and the, the way that, it, it, to begin with at least, did not acknowledge the problem and did not you know, respond perhaps um, in the most open way. Um, there, there was the, the original whistleblower, uh, Dr. Li Wenliang, uh, who um, was reprimanded for spreading rumors and making false comments and disturbing the social order because on social media he was saying, hey, mm. we've got this thing that's like SARS and it's going to be deadly. This is a huge deal. Um, uh, but uh, in January, he continued to serve while China officially denied that there were any new cases. And while they denied that there were any new cases, on January 10th, he contracted coronavirus and he died four weeks later. Um, now, interestingly... His sort of final social media post was, Good my, goodbye, my dear ones, farewell, Wuhan, my hometown. Hopefully after the disaster, you'll remember someone once tried to let you know the truth as soon as possible. Hopefully after the disaster, you'll learn what it means to be righteous. No more good people should suffer from endless fear and helpless sadness. Um, and this started to get shared quite a lot, and people started to make claims for his Christian faith, which I think um, they, they have not been confirmed. Mm. Um, maybe he was a maybe he was an inquirer. Um, uh, we, we're not we're not quite sure. Certainly, what he did was quite Christ-like mm. uh, in terms of blowing the whistle, sh shedding light on the situation, and then moving towards the trouble, contracting the illness that others might live. An incredible Christ-like thing, and you can see why people might want to claim him as a Christian. Yeah. Uh, but we we don't know. Uh, whether whether he was one, um, but certainly he kind of points the way to what a Christ-like you know response might be, and I think um, you know in in China there there are opportunities now with the communist government, the communist party not particularly dealing well with um, the issue to begin with. Um, 
is there an opportunity for faith, faith communities to, to step forward? Uh, and in the uh, New York Times just recently, there was a story uh, about um, how faith communities have stepped forward, and they're very threatening to the Communist Party. Um, so, for instance, seven underground Protestant churches in Beijing raised $10,000 to buy face masks and disinfectants for those who are in Wuhan. Um, and after sending the shipment on the 5th of February, the police called in church leaders for questioning and told them to stop their activities. Um, so you've got, you've got the government wanting to keep a lid on things and not wanting to you know, describe how bad things are. And you've got churches trying to help. And is there a population in China that's kind of comparing and contrasting? Okay, the Communist Party, who don't want me to be a Christian, uh, not dealing with the, with, with the virus, the Christians are wanting to. Um, is there an opportunity for, for Christianity in China to make even more headway? Uh, could the plagues be an intensification, both of the suffering of this world, but also of the Christ-likeness mm. of the church's witness? Yeah. And maybe, maybe in the UK, maybe wherever you're watching this from or listening to this from, um, maybe there's an opportunity to, to be Christ-like. Um, I don't know what that looks like, but it certainly looks like um, faith, hope, and love, I think. You know, um, it, it looks like um, not being swayed by the latest controversy, not being swayed by just panic. Um, having a settled faith that Jesus is Lord and he is Lord through the storm, um, the anchor will, will, will hold firm. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of hope? Um, this life is not all there is. Uh, and even, even if we lose our lives, even if we lose our children's lives, um, we have hope. We have, we have such a hope that, that becomes ever more precious when you see how this life can be taken away. And, and do we have love? Do we have that that? impulse to move towards the danger, to give ourselves in, in love uh, for those who most need it. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to play our part, and maybe we are the seventh example mm. of churches responding well to plagues. But we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, guys, on the uh, YouTube that uh, we, we dropped out, our, our internet failed at one point, but uh, we're glad that it's back up and running, and uh, we'll try and get you the, the full version Without, uh, without the uh, interruptions, interruptions yeah. uh, put up there. Uh, but, Paul, how can people get in touch with us? Uh, I mean, you can contact us via... Um, you can go via our website, speaklife.org.uk. You can contact us through there, but you can also find us on pretty much every social media platform. So if you want to uh, be in touch through those things, we'll pick up those messages and get back in touch with you as soon as we can. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, yeah, do like and share and subscribe this video and get it out there. But uh, thanks so much for joining us. Next time... Keep speaking life. Well, that was the guys from the Speak Life podcast. Special thanks to them for giving us permission to republish here. If you want to subscribe to their podcast, just search for the Speak Life podcast in your podcast app or go to facebook.com slash speaklifeuk. I'll put those links in the show notes. Now I'm going to do something a bit different because this next section is just me speaking. But I've taken what I think is some great advice from a podcast called The Happiness Lab and I wanted to try and give a Christian take on it, kind of uh, plunder the Egyptians. Now, 
in this podcast episode, it's really interesting. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. Um, they went through a bunch of different ways that you can emotionally cope going through a situation like we're going through in the coronavirus. I'm just going to list off a few of them, just give a bit more of a Christian commentary. So the first thing they suggested you could do is to focus on the things that you can control. Uh, if you think about it in life, there's things that we can control and there's things that we just can't control. Uh, I've actually tried speaking with my daughters about this a little bit and I get them to visualize it. I have a little whiteboard I use with them and I draw a circle on the whiteboard and I say, inside this circle are things that you can control and outside the circle are the things that you can't control. So this past week we were looking at that and I asked them, you know, what, what are some things outside the circle that you can't control? And, and they mentioned things like coronavirus, they obviously can't control that. They, they mentioned that they have to be home from school this past week, which was also true. They couldn't control that. And then I asked them, well, what is there that you can control? What's inside the circle that you can actually control? And they thought about it for a bit and they realized, oh, well, I suppose I can control how I respond to that. I can control how I behave at home as I'm um, doing schooling from home. Uh, and there's a bunch of different things that they can, they actually do have control over it actually used it on the weekend. We were going for a long walk, and one of them, I won't say which, was quite thirsty, uh, and we didn't have any water with us, and it was a fair way till we got home. And she was quite upset and just wanted to be carried and wasn't being too helpful, just stopped pretty much in the path. And I, I spoke to her and said, well, is this us not having water? Is this something that's inside the circle, or is it outside the circle? And she said, well, you know, it's outside the circle. She, she couldn't control the fact that we don't have water there and we couldn't magic it into existence. I said, well, what is inside the circle is how quickly you walk and get home. Because the quicker you walk, the quicker we get home and the quicker you can have a drink at home. And after that, she was very compliant and just walked straight along and we got home pretty quickly. But I use that as an example because there are things in this life that we do have some form of control over. And there's quite a lot that we don't have control over. And these guys on the podcast, they were saying, if you start getting angry about things that are outside the circle that you can't control, well, it's only gonna make a bad situation worse than it actually is. Uh, more often than not, that is the case. Uh, there's plenty of ways you can respond to this coronavirus situation that are just gonna make things worse. So you think about, well, what's inside the circle that I can control here? Now, if we wanted to baptize that and think of it more Christianly, um, You'll go to a passage like James chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. I mean, that sounds a lot like stuff that seems inside the circle. Going to a city, spending some time, carrying on business there, making money. Uh, it says, verse 14, Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. I think that's got so much to say to us in this time, especially when people looked forward to tomorrow as if it would be normal again, and it's definitely not normal at the moment. It reminds us that even the things that often we think are in our control inside the circle, often they're not really in our control anyway. Uh, it reminds us that ultimately everything is in God's control. It reminds us that we are just a mist that is here a little while and then vanishes. And so we might think we've got things inside our little circle, but 
we still need to submit them to the Lord. Or think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33. It says, so Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus is saying here that we can look to our Heavenly Father to provide all we need. Everything is ultimately in His control. And He says, if you want to focus on that circle, things that are in some way part of your control, here's, here's what you can do. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Make that the focus of what you're doing in each and every situation. Um, and it really is a wonderful thing that we as Christians know that in all things, it says in Romans 8.28, God is working for the good of those who love him. We serve a God who is in control of everything in this universe, everything that happens to us through this crisis. And we can respond in a way knowing that he loves us and he's working things for our good. And so it says 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. You think about that little circle, what we can control, you go, I want to live in a way that glorifies God. How can I respond in each certain situation that I find myself in? How can I respond in a way that will glorify God? And you know, if you're going through the hardship of losing a job right now, I mean, you've got options there. You could just mope around watching Netflix all day, or you could seek to glorify God by, even in this different environment, different climate, seeking a new job or seeking a way to apply your skills in a different way than you have in the past. Uh, getting out there, doing your best to find employment. Um, you know, even if you were to get sick in this time from coronavirus, you can't control that. It's outside your circle, so to speak. But what's inside your circle, what you can do is how you respond. Will you seek to glorify God even through your sickness uh, by showing that your health isn't what you worship. You worship the God who gives health and takes it away. You worship the God who has promised the resurrection of the body and perfect health in the world to come. Uh, in each situation we're in, we're given this opportunity to decide how we're going to respond, even if we can't control the situation, which is a wonderful thing. So that's, that's the first thing they had, was focus on things you can control. Ultimately, we, we, I suppose we can't control anything. We sit under the lordship of our God. And yet, in a small way, we do have that space inside the circle where we choose to respond in a way that glorify God's, glorifies God. The, the second thing they mentioned was uh, what they called a future storytelling frame. Uh, and what they were getting at here was looking, trying to get this coronavirus in perspective and think of yourself in however many years' time, a few decades' time, looking back on this pandemic and how you might speak with your grandchildren at, at that time. And they were saying, you know, you want to look back and tell your grandchildren that, yes, it was hard, but you managed, you coped, you, you handled this difficult situation. You didn't panic or get angry, but you, you were clever in how you're responding. That's the kind of thing they were saying. Think about the future. Think about how you want to look back at this and tell that story, almost like from the third person, about this you, this person, back in this time and how you responded to a difficult situation well. Now, we're not about boasting in these kinds of things as Christians, um, but it would be good if we could tell our grandchildren how this situation helped us to trust in God, uh, to realize that 
our value wasn't in our health or in what we owned. It was in Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful story to tell our grandchildren? And the thing is, as Christians, we have an even longer time horizon to be looking at. We look to the future and we look to eternity. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we be, will be revealed in us. You know, we, we can put our minds ahead a thousand years into the future, and we'll look back on this time and think, that is nothing compared to the glory that we have in Jesus. So being able to have that future storytelling frame, but in a much grander way as a Christian. Uh, or Colossians 3.1, it says that we should set our minds on things above where Christ is. Again, we should be focusing on Christ and his kingdom. That's where our, um, our meditation needs to be. Because in Christ, we have a secure inheritance that won't fade or spoil or perish. Another tip they gave was what they called negative visualization. Uh, and I suppose what they were saying here was you can think of how things could be worse. Think of how your life could be worse. They told the story of an academic who lost the use of his body completely. The only thing he could do was blink. But they were saying he wrote books communicating only through blinking. And they're saying this can make you grateful for what you have. Even though we might be going through a time where we're losing things, they were saying you still have, well, most of us still have our health and we can be thankful for that. And they were saying we live in one of the most amazing times to be alive. Healthcare that we have around us is out of this world. You know, we eat varieties of food that kings only could have dreamed of centuries ago. Centuries ago. Uh, the mattress you sleep on even is better than what kings would have slept on centuries ago. You hold these magical devices in the palm of your hand that give you access to information all over the world. There's so much we can be thankful for. And if you think about it, things could be a lot worse than what they are. And they're saying, well, just imagine getting all of those things that you are thankful for, getting those stripped away from you. And just they're saying things could be worse. And that helps you appreciate and be grateful for those things that you still do actually have. So that's the, the negative visualization um, tactic that they give. I think as Christians, we know this even more deeply. If we think of what we actually deserve, well... The Bible teaches that we deserve God's condemnation. We deserve hell. If we think of our sin and uh, what we have done against the Holy God, you think of negative visualization. Well, our sin, the consequences, hell, that's about as negative visualization as you can get. But by the grace of God, we're not in hell. Uh, this earth that we're on is amazing compared to hell. And much more importantly, as Christians, as those who trust in Christ, we have a certain hope of heaven ahead of us. Uh, we have things so much better than we actually deserve. So there's a, um, a radio host in the United States. He hosts a personal finance show. Um, his name's Dave Ramsey. He's a Christian guy. And often he gets people calling into his show and they'll ask him, how are you going? And he'll always say, I'm better than I deserve. I'm better than I deserve. I just think that's a wonderful way to frame things. I'm better than I deserve. That's that negative visualization. Here's what I deserve. Actually, I deserve hell. But I'm better than that by the grace of God. We always have reasons that we can be thankful because we are, as Christians, always better.
better than we deserve. I thought I'd just share a couple more things as just thoughts during this time of isolation and the spread of coronavirus. Uh, One thing is that for many of us, we are going to get to spend a lot more time with our children. And that could be a good thing, or maybe it's something you're dreading to do, being cooped up in a home with with children at this time. Uh, I hope that you do look at it as a a good thing and a positive thing. I especially want to speak to fathers here. Uh, Maybe you haven't been at home as much in the last few years. Maybe you've um, been away for work or in the office later and haven't been able to spend as much time with your family. Uh, Maybe you haven't been able to lead your family in family worship. Well, this could be an opportunity for you. Now you're being forced to be at home. You're you're forced to self-isolate there. Uh, This gives you the opportunity to really get back on the bike when it comes to helping your family worship the true and living God. It doesn't have to be huge things. It could just be, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be something small. Just once the dinner table's cleared and saying to the kids, okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to read God's word and we're going to pray. And you might open up one of the gospels, read 10 or 20 verses there as a family, reflect on them for a little bit. What is this saying? Do you have any questions discussing it? And then praying together after you've read the Bible. It doesn't have to take more than 15 or 20 minutes, but this is a golden opportunity for you to lead your family in worship. And that would be a wonderful thing to happen during this time. Another thing I wanted to mention is evangelism opportunities. We're in this strange time. Uh, People have a lot more time on their hands, generally. They're at home a lot. They're they're thinking about the bigger things in life. Uh, they, They can't really put their trust in money or in health anymore and perhaps they're contemplating their own mortality this could be a time that god uses to draw people to himself i've already heard one story of a girl coming back to church through this time because she realized that she needed to call out to god Uh, i want to encourage you to take evangelism opportunities as they come pray for them Um, you might share something on facebook about how trusting in god gives you faith or gives you stability in this time. You might want to post your testimony on there. People might be more interested to hear your story of how you became a Christian in this time. Uh, Take a video of yourself and post that there. Uh, Maybe another one is our church has got some some flyers that you can download and print off. And they basically say, if you're self-isolating at the moment, I want to be here to help you. If you need um, goods delivered, if you want someone to talk to over the phone, uh, just get in touch with me. Here's my name. Here's my number. You drop it in your neighbor's letterbox and it's a way to love them. It also has on it the times of the church services streaming on the internet. So if they want to, they can tune in for those. Uh, This is going to be a time where there will be more opportunities to share your faith in Christ. To say, even though the world's going crazy around us, boy am I thankful that I have a God who is stable through it all. A God who is in charge, in control and who is good and that I can trust in him. So be aware of those opportunities. Take them up. Uh, There are great resources on our website, the cec.stthomas.org.au website, where you can be equipped in this time to share the gospel more and more.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Christians Engaging Culture. It'd be great if you could mention this podcast to others, maybe as you chat in discipleship groups on Zoom this week. Like I mentioned before, you can also go to our website at cec.st-thomas.org.au and find great material to equip you to engage with different cultural conversations. Maybe you have some extra time on your hands at the moment. Why not go through our module on religious liberty or on evangelism? But until next time, always remember that Jesus is a far greater saviour than you are a sinner.